This is the Rhythm of Faith with Eddie Paul. Jogging. I've never really been a fan of it. Even when I played basketball and coach would make us run for distance, I'd always think, what is the point? There's no ball, there's no opponent, no dog chasing me. So what gives? At some point, long after my college days were over, I let a friend convince me that jogging was not that bad. You know, it was kind of like a competition for myself. So I would compete against me and try and one-up myself each time out. I was never anyone's Olympic champion, but I started to get pretty good at it. I would go into the gym, get a few sets in, and then hit the treadmill and see if I could improve on what I did yesterday. But my buddy, who was a pretty accomplished runner, challenged me. He said, you know, you should really start running outside. You're going to get bored. So on this one early Thursday morning, I finished my sets at the gym and got a few last stretches before putting on my hoodie and heading out for my first jog back to the house. I took my first few steps and it was exhilarating. The cool Indiana morning air, a little breeze at my back. All I do is win, 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 blasting in my ears. It felt amazing. What I hadn't heard was the call of police officers who had slowly driven up from behind. Calls to stop. Put your hands up. I was simply in my zone. The song had nearly reached my favorite Snoop Dogg verse and I felt a foot swipe my legs out from under me. One officer used his knee to help pin me down while the other wrestled my arms behind my back. Cuffed and confused, afraid out of my mind, I was finally able to say through a smushed face, what did I do? The officer simply said, stop resisting. But I hadn't resisted. I was writhing in pain. I had only realized that I wasn't being mugged or kidnapped because of the faint sight of red and blue lights that had flashed on the ground. The one officer eventually allowed me to sit up, while the other had rifled through my pockets and grabbed my wallet. I sat on the gravel for what felt like an eternity. No explanation, and I could feel the sweat and pebbles that had stuck to the side of my face slowly start to fall. The officer keeping his close eye on me issued several taunts while daring me to move. I didn't know whether to look at him directly in the eye, or would he take that as a sign of aggression? I couldn't look away, he might take that as a sign of disrespect. I could only look down and hope that this would all be over soon. After almost an hour, the officer who had taken my wallet walked over and lifted me up, uncuffed me, and said I was free to go. I stood furiously thinking of all my rights that I should be screaming about. All the things that I should do to have them fired, but 
see. In Indiana, this wasn't an aberration. People who look like me are often followed around in department stores or trailed by officers when we're walking, quote, in the wrong neighborhood, detained because we met the description of a perpetrator in the area. Officers never saw how much I loved Jesus, never saw my degrees, that I was a good father or husband. They, they never stopped to ask. They didn't care about any of that because all they saw was a threat. What made this particular run-in with the police stand out in my mind wasn't that it was the first. No. Unfortunately, I'd lost count of how many times I'd been told I looked like I was up to something or was simply a victim of mistaken identity in Indiana. What made this one stand out to me was that three days later, I, I just wanted to talk to my pastor about the issue and and have him help me deal with all of my rage and frustration. But when I walked into the doors of my church, that same man was a greeter at the door. You know, the one that had pinned me to the ground and taunted me, disrespected me. I wanted to walk right by him and ignore him. In truth, I wanted to yell. I wanted to scream out to the crowds as they were filing into the church and let him know just how much of a coward this man was, how much of a racist he was. And as all of my internal anger was about to reach its threshold, he reached out his hand and grabbed mine and welcomed me to church. Guys, it made it worse. He didn't even recognize me. He had stared at me, taunted me, disrespected me for over an hour but didn't even remember who I was. Through the opening minutes of service, I, could, I couldn't help but recognize that he had chosen the seat right in front of me. And I knew in just a few moments, we'd be engaging in our normal tradition of greeting our neighbors just before service. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. There was no way that I could look him in the eyes that day shake his hand and wish him the peace of God. How do we move forward from these things? Can we move forward when the people that we're supposed to be able to trust destroy that trust? Or, even worse, they do it repeatedly. On this edition of The Rhythm of Faith, we proudly present the story of Carl a man who grew up in the security of a stable home with religious values. But that security in religion was tested in one of the hardest ways imaginable. Sensitive listeners, please be advised that some of the subject matter may not be suitable for young ears. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Rhythm of Faith. I grew up with uh, my sister and both parents, um, middle class, over in Eagledale. 
went to uh, St. Michael's uh, grade school and uh, grew up in the in the Catholic faith. The people I grew up with, I, so I went to a Catholic grade school, um, and all the kids in my neighborhood ended up going to um, public schools, and so I didn't have that relationship with the kids in the neighborhood as I did with the kids I went to school with, and no one I went to school with lived in my neighborhood, at least nowhere close. Um, I had some friends from the neighborhood, um, but a lot, the majority of my friends were the ones I went to school with, so I really didn't have much um, interaction with people that weren't Catholic. school Catholic high school and it wasn't until I got to college and I realized there's a lot of people out there that aren't Catholic um, and I tell you that that one kind of was a little bit of a, a shocker but my parents are my my family is uh, at least the family the extended family I got to know on my dad's side mom's mom's family was down from Louisiana and Mississippi mm. so we really didn't I probably saw my grandparents on that side by counting on two hands how many times I ever got to see them. But then the family on my dad's side, um, who were diehard Catholics, most of my aunts were nuns, and my one uncle was a priest. Um, so it was probably the best word is insulating. Hmm. I would say my, my, my childhood, as far as faith go, was insulated within the church. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, it was it was just that you, you you didn't really question. I wasn't a critical thinker at a young age. It was just okay. This is what it is. I mean, God is these three things. Um, it and it was normal. It was um, it wasn't odd. It, it didn't sound odd. It, it wasn't hard to comprehend because it was it was just this. This is it. This is how it is. There's no need to comprehend it. Just understand it to be this. Um, so in, in my childhood it was simple. I mean it was you know I, I remember as a, as a kid I, I think my, I worried my parents because I told them that I had, as a kid, I had no fear of death. I was actually kind of looking forward to it because you go from this world to the minute you die, knowing everything, being able to be everywhere. And there was, no, I never had any near death experiences or never had to face death as a kid. But, you know, I remember having no fear of it. Um, and it was, it was absolute. I mean, the, God, Jesus, everything was was absolute as a kid. Hmm. And so, as as um, at just looking at the the influence of maybe uh, the aunt or uncle who were in clergy, mm -hmm. um, did you ever get the opportunity to sit down with one of them and say, "Hey, you know, what about you know babies who are aborted or things like that?" I mean, are are they going to heaven? They didn't get get to know Jesus. 
they didn't they weren't uh, baptized were, were there any questions you can recall as a child that really made you say huh I remember as a kid learning about purgatory and not quite sure exactly what that one was um, but my my aunts and uncles when the family got together religion just really wasn't talked about it was you know everything else in everyday life and I need to add none of my aunts stayed uh, uh, as a nun oh, they all right. left to get married um, my uncle was the only one who who died uh, a priest uh, he, he stayed in the clergy the, none of my aunts did we were in church um, and the priest was talking about purgatory and was during school and it had to have been third grade or so and one I'd never heard the word before and it was it was the first I'd ever heard of it. You know, I always, you, know, you die, you go to heaven or hell. And now the priest is telling us about this other place. And you go there and you pay for your sins. And once you're, you've paid for your sins, then you go to heaven. And it, uh, I just, I had, <laughs> I had a visual in my head of a like a waiting room looking like kind of like a bus station where you just sit there and, and you wait depending on how many sins you did in your life depends on how long you wait before you get to go in, into heaven and, and I it wasn't it was disturbing I mean it was upsetting that you know um, when I die I'm not going to go to heaven I've got to this other place I'm going to have to go to and it kind of hurt me a little bit I wasn't you know that would just wasn't what I understood, what I'd always been told, um, and uh, um, I just, I didn't like it, it didn't feel good. Did you just, was it something that you just kind of dismissed, or was it something that, you know, kind of stuck with you? Um, no, I, I would say I dismissed it after the, the teachers talked about it, and then I, I talked to mom and dad about it a couple times. And it was just something that, you know, don't worry about it, you know, um, you're not going to go there, or, you know, it's for other people, and then it was just something that, um, um, I just kind of blew off. Now, I'm not sure if the Catholic Church changed its doctrine on that, because, I only remember it when I was younger. I don't remember anyone ever talking about it after junior high. I don't ever remember talking about junior high or beyond. I don't. So I don't know. That might have been one of the things the church changed its position on. My my parents, my family, were really good in. I'll keep letting us keep our innocence as long as possible. I remember thinking as a kid, you know, we've got the perfect family. Why aren't all families like this? Um, I never knew of animosity or arguments or anything that happened within the family. Now, when I got older, I found out all about them. But, I mean, growing up, it was like it was the perfect family. Um, 
So I don't know if they sheltered us from everything else and they never talked about politics or religion in the house around us. Um, so I, I, I don't, I have no recollection of really discussing religion in, in the house on a day-to-day -day basis. We didn't say our prayers before bed. Um, our parents and family, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they talked a lot about religion when the kids weren't around or not. But I, I never really saw it. But it was just at our house. It was uh, we always said grace, um, and we went to church every Sunday. And um, Advent was probably the one thing that 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 does stick out that we did religiously. That was often and uh, where we prayed. Hmm. I wonder how that shaped your, your experience, you know, when you got out of high school and you were now in college. I, I think for um, me personally, my family, uh, before we got over to um, St. Monica and then to Ritter, I went to uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, 56 in Illinois, mm -hmm. uh, in that area, and one of the most shaping moments of my faith just like okay god I, I need to figure out who you are fourth grade dude uh we had a guy uh tom brennan played on my basketball team killed himself fourth grade the whole school was obviously rocked but i'm sitting there at his funeral and i'm just looking at my teammates because we all you know huddled together and all that I'm looking at the teachers and I, I kept asking why, like somebody explained this to me as a, as a kid and, and um, you know, I, I asked people, is he going to heaven? I mean, but he killed himself, so it's it's a sin, I mean, you know, I, I, I was just tossing that stuff up, up as a, what, nine, ten-year-old kid um, and there weren't a lot of clear answers, so that, I think, if I had to dig into it, that's the point where I was like, okay, figure out this faith because I don't get it you know I, I believe in God I believe in Jesus I'm trying to figure out the Holy Spirit you know but <laughs> but uh, that that moment for me you know there's no parent could shelter me from that it was right there in my face mm -hmm. so um, yeah it's 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 very interesting how you know little events as I talk to people about their life like they name that one thing that happens that just kind of rocks everything and they really have to kind of reevaluate everything. The, the biggest shock was, like I said, was going to college, getting outside of that Catholic bubble and um, realizing I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I can't think of anyone that was on my floor that was Catholic other than me. Um, and I, I remember going on from the religious point of view, from the outstanding majority, because that's all that was in my life, to being a significant minority in the group of people that I hung out with. Now, almost all of them were Christian. I mean, I, I might have had, there, there might have been an atheist in there or two. Um, 
one uh, one was Hindu um, but for the most part everyone else was Christian most of them not practicing but they would identify as Christian but unlike now with the polarization of politics as it is with religion and politics it wasn't that way growing up I mean I didn't I, I one friend that cared about politics and none of us did I mean, it, it wasn't until my adult life out being out of college before I finally asked the question what's the difference between a Republican and a Democrat I honestly God didn't know um, and I didn't know where I was on the political spectrum and so in college you know I had some some things that happened with my faith in college it really started in high school um, a good friend of mine um, and in high school and college I dare say one of my best friends was clergy and we had a, a lot of conversations he, he was really the only one I ever really talked religion about um, and he was he was the one that would make things make sense um, as I started to become more of a critical thinker and saying, okay, uh, this just doesn't quite make sense. Um, he, he put a, a different light on it and that, that carried, that carried me into my first uh, bout of trouble with the Catholic church as a youth minister. Um, uh, I got, I was asked not to do it anymore there, um, because of my beliefs. Um, but I mean, as far as the people around me, the friends I had, I don't know if it ever came, if it came up, it was so very rare. Uh, it just wasn't anything. It wasn't a big deal then. Religion wasn't a big deal then. And, you know, if you're a Catholic, you go to a Catholic church. If you're a Methodist, you go to a Methodist church. But no one ever, we never really sat around and talked about religion, turned around and talked about alcohol and girls. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. Um, but I would say that when, when I really started thinking about it and was was in high school and, and, and uh, meeting Bob, um, that's when I really started to get an understanding, not from the faith part of it, but from the, I don't know how to say it, the, the real part of it. Um, probably where I started questioning my faith and just the absolute part of it. I mean, what if he's not there? What if there is no God? What if, you know, and I started finding comfort in the science of it as becoming more and more of a critical thinker. I, I liked the, the science, the science of it brought me comfort. Um, for example, Genesis, 
the, you, you, you read the story of Genesis. Um, I absolutely do not believe that God made the heaven and earth in six days. Just don't think that. If he did, where'd dinosaurs come from? I mean, if we were here the day after he made animals, we weren't here with dinosaurs. So where did they come from? And if you look at the story, when it was told and who it was told to, and it was told to a people that had absolutely no knowledge of astrophysics or the science that we have it, how do you tell it to a people that don't have that understanding in a way that they would understand? If you take the Big Bang Theory and put it next to the story of creation, they're identical if you just take out time and vocabulary. Well, um, the vocabulary is important, and if you can't explain the uh, Just a couple of years ago, I, I found this out, was the story of Adam and Eve. Um, if Adam and Eve are the first two people on earth, when Cain killed Abel, Cain begged God, don't send me out because the people of the other tribes will kill me. He married someone from the other tribe. Where, where did he come from? Um, and I, I was, I forget what I was watching, but uh, I was watching, I, I'm big into history and I, I watch the History Channel a lot. And it was the story, or the, the, they were talking about how there were two humanoids on the planet at the same time. Um, two species of humans. You had uh, Homo erectus and Homo sapien. They existed at the same time. So you go back and read the Bible, and the Bible says that God made man in his own image. I don't believe that God looks like us. I don't think we have, we have fingers, we have toes. Those fingers and toes are limitations. They're limitations of our reach. I don't believe he has limitations. So what if... What if when he said that he made man in his own image, he meant he gave them a soul? And what if the um, the entering of uh, Homo sapiens into the world? What if Adam and Eve were the first two Homo sapiens that God gave a soul to? What if Homo erectus didn't have souls? But Homo sapiens did. They became the dominant species. Homo erectus died out. Homo sapiens became the dominant species. So if you take it as literal, the story as literal as you can, that would make sense. God made Adam and Eve. They were the first two humans with souls. He made them in their image. The soul is in his image, not the body. Um, and we became the dominant species. That would explain the story of Cain and Abel and where the people of the other tribes were. Those that type of thinking is what you know, kind of Bob showed me and to look at, and it's also what got me in a little bit of trouble with the church in college too, because I didn't. Uh, um, I saw things a little bit differently, um, but what, specifically, what, what got me in trouble was one of the students had asked me about the miracles that that Jesus performed. And I forgot, I don't remember exactly how it went, but 
how the conversation went, but it, it went to me proposing to them. What if Jesus didn't actually do miracles? What if they weren't miracles? They were miracles at the time because they didn't understand them. What if the miracle of Jesus was he was 100% human? He had access to 100% of his brain. Um, he could do things that would seem impossible to, to them then or even to us now. But the miracle was what he was, not how he did it, because Jesus said, you will do greater things than I. How is that possible if he's God? If he's God? I mean, what if he did have limitations on him? Limitations of being human, but he had 100% of his, that a, a human would have, their potential. Um, and uh, there was a parent that didn't particularly care for that idea. So uh, I was a youth minister here in high school. I went there, I was a youth minister. I was a youth minister there for three years. And then the priest is like, yeah, we, you really kind of ticked off a, a parishioner. So uh, I'm going to have to ask him, just don't do it anymore. Fair enough? Don't. Um, don't. don't be a youth minister in the church. <laughs> not don't tick them off anymore. It's That's, yeah, you're just, done. Yeah. Wow. Um, a different point of view. Yeah. Um but at the time, and I, I doubt even now, that that's not the Catholic Church's point of view. But everything that happens here, I believe can happen through science. Um because science is just it's it's our reality. It's it's physical things it's nature um, my mother and I have this argument all the time why couldn't why couldn't man come about through evolution she says well that's blasphemous who's the one that says God can't do that if, if God has no concept of time if time is irrelevant to him what does it matter to him if something in our plane takes millions of years to happen in him it's an instant I mean, so why can't evolution happen? Why can't God do his miracles through nature? Uh, people say that, that um, um, conception is a miracle. And I think we can scientifically explain it. Um, why does that make it any less than a miracle if it's still done by his hand, he's guiding it, Who's to say God can't wield nature to do what he wants it to do? And that's the platform in which he uses to execute it. So, um, I, to me, when I hear stories or things that I learned as a kid, um, and it's justified or not justified, it's... Uh, most of the words supported by other facts, if it's mm -hmm. uh, um, validated. Thank you. Validated through science. Mm -hmm. To me, I find comfort in that. Um, because how could they have been that close? If you take the story of the Big Bang in creation, you take out vocabulary and time, it's dead on. How would they have been able to do that? Mm -hmm. um, the odds of them getting it that right are 
astronomical to me that 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 helps support my faith that's very cool I um, I'd heard various versions of what you're telling and uh, one of my favorite comedians says if God clapped his hands wouldn't that make a big bang <laughs> it's just he he, he uh, is a strong believer in Jesus but also science actually supports and the Bible actually supports uh, so it's you know it's, it's a both and and it's so interesting um, that so many people uh, of faith it's, believe it's got to be one way or the other or they're just against each other they have to be what, what kills me is, is to use the word blasphemous so I'm saying that it's possible that God could do it that way if he wanted to. You say he can't do it that way, and I'm the one that's been blasphemous. Uh, th- that, that one I, I, don't, I don't get. I mean, uh, um, to me it makes perfect sense. But I, I, I thought you don't tell that to mom. Right. Well, nope. right, right. <laughs> I, I actually said something very stupid but very good. Uh, getting out of, of uh, college one time with my parents and uh, they were talking about the same thing last week mm-hmm. and they, they didn't use it against me I was just asking a lot of questions you know I'm going out you know, getting into these projects for communities and blah 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 and I, I've just seen and heard and experienced so many different things and um, you know Hindu guy asked me about this part of Catholicism and faith. And I had a, uh, a guy who's a Buddhist tell me, "Hey, you know, I've always wondered why Christians believe this, you know." And so I would bring these things up to them. It's well, that's just blasphemy. But isn't blasphemy putting a limitation on God's power mm-hmm. or abilities to do anything? Just because it's not in the Bible, does that make it? When I came back from college, I started doing the the youth ministry again. Um, And what was important to me is you you are either, it, it always felt to me that you were either religious or you're not. There was no middle ground. And the people that were religious are people that cannot have a conversation without bringing God into it. That somehow God has, he's engaged in everything. Um, Now, I don't believe that. I don't, um, I don't believe that God has a plan for us. Um, I believe that this is a test. This is a journey. The trials, the tribulations, the the good, the bad. Um, it's not planned out. I mean, if it was planned out, what's the point? I mean, if you're gonna go play, you're gonna go play a game, and you're going to dictate every move and who does what and how it does, then what's the point of even playing it? Um, And I'm not even sure if I believe that he intervenes. 
he may. He, he may intervene, but he would only intervene if him if he intervened it would only go to prove my point that he does not have this hall planned out because um, if he did then what would he need to intervene over um, when I was in grade school I don't remember what had happened it wasn't traumatic by any means but I remember sitting in church and I don't know if something must have happened some question might must have come up someone must have died or something uh, a friend's parent or something and I just remember sitting there thinking why would God let that happen and I didn't hear a big booming voice or anything but a thought popped into my head that said I don't interfere and that made sense if he interfered what would be the point of this life I've always thought this life was a test this was a test to see where you go are, are you good are you evil um, and if he intervened if he already knew the answers if he had a plan that we follow this would be pointless. When I was on parish council, we, we went over to, we, our parish council, for whatever reason, was dissolved. The parish council is the, the business side of the church. They, they do the financing, they plan um, if work needs to be done, capital improvements, it's, it is all the business of the church. Uh, do we need to find new suppliers for the, uh, the bulletins? Um, we need money over here. There was the, the, the budget committee reported up through the parish council. Parish council voted on it. So it was, it was the, a bunch of volunteers that got together for the business side of the church. But it, so we started. We, we went to start up um, parish council again. I wanted to be involved in the church. I loved the community of the church. Um, I grew up in that church. It was home to me. Um, and it was after about two years that really rocked my faith as a Catholic. I, I never really considered being anything but a Catholic. I knew there were always things, tenets within the faith that I didn't agree with. But I can't think of any organization that you could ever be that you buy 100% of what they're selling or what they're about. I mean, you, there, it is physically impossible to have millions upon millions upon millions of people involved in the faith, hundreds of millions of people involved in the faith that all believe the exact the same thing. It's just not going to happen. Plus, again, it's done by people and they're infallible. Or they're not found. They're um, so after about two years of serving on parish council, we had the issue with the archdiocese coming in, and at, we just did a capital campaign to build a parish life center. And then they wanted another capital campaign, and uh, St. Michael's, I believe, is in Eagledale or right outside Eagle. It is a very, very blue-collar parish, and. 
that's where um, and we had just done that big capital campaign and really kind of stretched the limits of what we could do and right afterwards the archdiocese came in and needed another capital campaign um, although this one was really more for the archdiocese My understanding was the, the church needed the money because of all the um, issues that the church was having with the, I think the word they used was compromised priests. The priests that had gotten themselves in some serious legal trouble and the uh, bishops that were aware of moving them around. And so when all of that was happening, they came to us and said, we need another capital campaign. And there was a, a big discussion that St. Michael's didn't want to do it. We just finished one just a couple of years before that. Um, and again, I don't remember all the details, but I'm pretty sure that we were getting very little of it. So there was a lot of discussions and some negotiations back and forth with the archdiocese and the agreement was that was made was that the first five hundred thousand dollars that was raised was going to go to the school to a grant that was matched by uh, Lily here to get the school new windows and maybe a roof or something but it was going to be a million dollars the second $500,000 would go to the Archdiocese, then we would split anything after that. So we launched it, we hired a consultant that came in, we, we launched it, and um, we put a lot of work, a lot of time and effort into it. And we were in parish council, father had walked in and he says there's some news I need to tell you guys about and he said that the archdiocese took the money it was supposed to be allocated to us and I guess what he was saying it was no longer allocated to us the, the, the diocese decided to use it for other means and we were instantly furious I mean we were all upset over that um, and that kind of, that prompted me to, I left, uh, the, I'm pretty sure parish council dissolved after that for a time. Um, I think a lot of people was fed up with it and was really upset. And, um, so I left the church, uh, over that. I, I was disgusted. I mean, it was the world's worst kept secret that there were a lot of priests out there that were like that. Um, and it, like, like what? Yeah, give me oh, some understanding. Pedophiles. Gotcha. Um, that were abusing children, boys. Um, I mean, there, I think everyone always knew it, but it, for whatever reason, it just didn't 
come to light. Um, I do believe that the where the where really started was Baltimore or Boston. One of the two. They had that that uh, bishop there that knew it was happening. The priest, I believe, actually went to jail for it. But he knew it was happening, and he just moved him around. And then I believe there were going to be charges put against him, and he ended up going to the Vatican. And not only was he in the Vatican, they made him a cardinal. I, I just I couldn't I couldn't stomach that. I couldn't have my time going to that. I couldn't have my money going to that. Um, and. And I was done. And I just stopped going to church. Me and my best friend, um, a um, couple, several months, maybe even a year, we're, we're talking that we missed the community of it all. We, we did miss the church. I mean, we had a lot of friends there. We volunteered a lot. We did a lot of things. We had a lot of fun. And we we missed that so him and I sat out on a on a trek to uh, to find another church we even joked about starting our own <laughs> and uh, um, so we went to several we, we probably went to six eight churches and I'm not I believe the word's charismatic. I'm not a charismatic person. Laying in hands, talking in tongues. That, that just, that doesn't do it for me. Um, I struggle with that. And we went to Kingsway, right around the corner. Huge, I mean, I guess the Midwest version of a mega church. Uh, and we went in there and I, the, the sense of community was tremendous. Everybody talking to everybody and but then the mass started, or the service started, and they played a lot of the modern music bands that had a band up there. Um, I will say the most engaging um, um, message or uh, homily I'm not sure if it's called a homily or not, but the, the most engaging, engaging homily, one that I actually paid attention to. Um, he was a great speaker, very engaging, and it, it was awesome. Um, and then afterwards, they did laying hands. And I was just like, this, this is just too much for me. This Bear was the same way. He's like, yeah, this, this does. I mean, I didn't like the music. Uh, I didn't like the laying of hands. It just, it just didn't. It wasn't in my comfort zone. And so we tried a, a Lutheran church. That one was really close to to a Catholic church, but we picked a really bad weekend to go. They were doing baptisms, so it was an hour and twenty minute or two hour and twenty minute mass. Uh, yep, nope, that's not for us either. <laughs> and. Uh, we went to just some Christian churches around, and I didn't like any of them. Neither did he. And we actually talked about that for a little bit. And that's when we decided to go back to the Catholic Church. 
Um, I don't know if I would say I'm a member of the Catholic Church anymore, but I go to Catholic Church. Um, I kind of came to the revelation that whatever church you go to, again, you're, you're never going to get everyone to believe every tenet and follow every tenet. I mean, um, I'd really be interested in showing the hands of in a Catholic Mass if everyone's honest of who's ever used birth control in a Catholic Church. That's a, that's a big no-no. My guess is about 90% of the people w would do it. So I don't think, I, I came to the conclusion, you, you don't have to agree in every aspect of a church of what they what their rules are it's just what's what is the comfortable way for you to worship I grew up in a Catholic church I went to a Catholic grade school Catholic high school we went to church three times a week um, it's comfortable it feels like home um, no place else does I haven't never really found that sense of community I had at St. Mike's. Um, the Catholic Church definitely could learn something from the Christian ones. I should go and get it upstairs. Um, the bulletin from St. Malachi. It is everything that that church <laughs> this is going to sound really bad but let me explain myself everything that church does is revolves around prayer groups there's no they don't do anything to have any interaction outside of praying together or learning about the bible or there's no community things for people who aren't that type of religious, that aren't that type of faithful. Um, Christian churches, there are. There's a ton of things that they do. Um, they, they have groups that, you know, get together and play cards or um, meet up at bars and you know watch football and, I mean just um, and even youth education the Catholic service is comfortable it's what I know it's what I like it's home I've been doing it my whole life and that's the only place that I feel comfortable worshiping so that's how I'm gonna worship um, if someone was to ask me are you a member of the Catholic Church? I honestly, I don't know that answer. I never really thought about it until two seconds ago when I said it. Um, but I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if I... I guess when people ask me, what religion are you? I say I'm Catholic. Um, but I don't know... I don't know if they got their house in order yet. I mean, if that one cardinal is still over there, that, and he did... What I'm, what I understood he did. That man should be in jail. 
granted he didn't do it himself, but he knew it was going on, and he moved it around to where a predator, a disgusting individual that will burn for eternity, could victimize more and more children than they did it with, under that supervision, knowing it was happening. So, I, I I still struggle with that part of it. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I'll ever get past that that part of it. And then, you know, that capital campaign, that money. Um, when I was in parish council, that I helped raise, went to defending the church, defending those people, court costs, things like that. Now, I'm sure that there were innocent men, innocent priests that were caught up with it that I absolutely believe the church should have defended. Um, but then there's others I think they should have just washed their hands up and said, you know what, no. And the ones who knew it was going on, I think every one of them should be in jail too. And the thought of one dollar of my money going to defend someone like that was just that was just over the top. I want to thank Carl for sharing his story with us. Faith and religion can be incredibly messy. Because we as people are so flawed, it can be very difficult to know exactly where to turn when those who are supposed to be the symbols of hope show us just how flawed they are too. Regardless of what you believe or what you've experienced, I want to challenge you to never let the shortcomings of mankind cause you to lose your faith. Special thanks to artists Blear Moon, Chad Crouch, Himalaya, Parallel Park, Yishwa, and Audio Binger for providing the soundtrack for today's episode. Rhythm Nation, know that we are listener supported. And this show only exists because of supporters like you. If you like this content, be sure to go to therhythmoffaith.com and give. Until next time, one love.